words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. As I listened to and read the Gospel reading for today, I was reminded of waiting for our first child, uh, Kate, 20, well, 27 and a half years ago. And uh, just the wonder of it, really, sitting there day by day with all that anticipation, um, but all also couched with a level of unreality, of not really knowing what was going to happen. Going to neonatal classes, reading the books, which I did frantically the night before she was born, um, just so I knew what I was supposed to be doing the next day. Uh, doesn't really prepare you for the reality of what is about to happen. And so as I read that story, I thought about Elizabeth and Mary in that tension of hope and anticipation and unreality. For us, there was quite a bit of anxiety, well, for me, a bit of anxiety, really. And I'm sure for Bonnie there was some anxiety, but hers um, had a different level. Um, Mine was as the male standing beside her, not really sure what was going to happen and what my role in all of that was going to be. Uh, Couched with the fact that about a month or two before she was born, um, being a curate in a parish, I was asked to take a funeral for a baby who was stillborn. And... uh, the doctor was appalled that I was the one that, I, that had been asked to do it. And so there was this kind of all the way up to and until Kate was born. I mean, is the baby alive and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, 27, 28 years ago, clock death was in the news all the time. So even after you had the baby, there was this nervousness about whether the baby would survive. And I remember a couple of times going in and she seemed very peaceful and quiet, too peaceful and quiet, so I would poke her. Until she kind of stirred and went, yep, no, she's still alive. I don't know if she appreciated being poked while she was asleep. But there was that nervousness, that anxiety that went with it all. Waiting in that time has so many emotions. They're hard to describe, but they're large and they're real and they kind of hold you for that entire time. Um, And they don't let you go. It's very easy when we listen to the story of Mary and Elizabeth to romanticise it, to spiritualise it. And in a sense, this is one of the stories that romanticises it. It's all colourful and it's nice. And in fact, the internet is full of lovely images of the story. I hope that one... This is... um, There's lots of versions of this one. Full of joy... But I think the danger of this kind of picture is um, we lose the humanity of the people involved and we lose the richness of all the emotions that are at play. And it disconnects us from our own experience, whether that was a positive experience or a negative experience. It just makes it a lovely story. And I think this story is much more than a lovely story. So I want to start by just looking at the two characters who are in the story and to note actually before I do that that this is a really interesting story. 
Well, the first thing that's interesting about it is that it's a story about two women, and there is no male anywhere in it. And you have to be, you have to search far and wide in the literature of this time to find a story which doesn't have a male in it. I mean, you look through the Gospels. All the other stories have males in them. Well, sometimes just angels, archangels, but they're often depicted as males anyway. So this is a very rare story. You are invited into the inner sanctum of two women, into their private moment. And it is a rare thing. It's an, a, an amazing thing that Luke included it. We can get into a discussion about whether this really happened, but I think that's all a bit academic, really. I think this is a story, Luke presents it, and it's a rare story, and it's about two women who are expecting. And it's an amazing story because of that. So let's have a look at Elizabeth, who... Uh, who was older, who was, uh, who we are described, who is described by Luke as barren, who's never had a child. But as I looked at that word barren, I wondered how many miscarriages that represented, how many times she had been pregnant and had not carried that through. How much grief and loss did that experience hold for her? Every time getting pregnant, with all the hope and the anxiety and the fear that came with that. And then another miscarriage, another loss. And you wonder how much loss one person can hold. And now when the time for childbearing is over, she is pregnant again. Can you imagine what that must have been like for her? The miracle of it, the hope of it, and yet... The absolute terror of that. That maybe this time she will have a child. Maybe this time her shame and disgrace will be wiped away. And yet every day, hoping and yet fearing that yet again this will end in disaster. So this isn't just a story about a woman who is incredibly happy. This is a woman caught between all those emotions of hope and fear and dread and finding her way through it. How does one live with so much fear and hope tied up in one child? Today we are invited, as we lit the candle, to think about love. And I wonder where love was for her at this time. I mean, a lot of the time she's doing this on her own. Her husband's up in Jerusalem being a priest. And so they would have to go up there and do their shifts, and then they would come home for a while, and then they would go back. And so a lot of the time she's doing this on her own, without Zechariah, who can't talk anyway, can't give her any help, because he was struck dumb. Um, right at the beginning of the story. So it's an incredibly hard story. And this picture really doesn't do it enough justice, I don't think. And then we have Mary. 
And again, Mary, I think it's easy to romanticise this and to make it all a lovely story. And we have lots of stories about her being quite pregnant. Um, That previous picture was her being quite pregnant. But actually Luke says, in those days, and those days were um, just before this, the archangel has come to see her and has said, uh, you're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And kind of Luke suggests that she then takes off to Elizabeth's. So she's not showing yet. Not many people know about this. I mean, it's an interesting thing that in Luke she goes to Elizabeth, her cousin, that she doesn't stay at home with her mother, with her family, with the people who know her and love her, that she goes to Elizabeth. And one of the commentators that I read said it's a very unusual thing that she did. People didn't travel you know, nowadays we jump in a car and go and see people. Well, they just didn't do that. You would travel for religious purposes. You would travel to Jerusalem and you would travel home. But you didn't pop over to the neighbouring village to see your cousins. That wasn't a thing that you did. Travel was, even with the Romans, about quite a dangerous thing. People stayed at home. And so it is a remarkable story that she travels. And when she goes... It's a remarkable thing that she goes to her cousin. But she's also a young girl. She's not this kind of mature woman that's often portrayed. She has just been betrothed, which means she's probably about 12 or 13. And maybe a little bit older, but not much older than that. Facing her first birth. And these are in the days where we didn't have hospitals and there's no pain-killing drugs and there's no sterile birthing rooms and doctors who can come and help you if anything goes wrong. There's the midwife and the birthing place. And birth is both a hopeful thing with new life, but it's also a time when people die. Mothers die given birth. Babies die. It is a sacred time of both life and death. And Mary is facing this for the first time. And so there's all the wonder of that, but a great deal of anxiety. I mean, I can remember what that was like as a male, with all the technology, and wondering what it was all going to be like. And it wasn't me that was going to have to give birth. I was just the person standing there, being told off occasionally for talking about the wrong things. So, but for Mary, this is right there. This is, this is her issue. She is going to have to deal with that. And she goes to see her cousin. This birth also represents a massive change for her. Um... Just as an aside, uh, it is easy to get hung up on the fact that she is pregnant without a husband and the shame that that will bring, and that is certainly true, and certainly for Matthew he makes a big deal of that, but Luke doesn't really mention it. He doesn't have any dream for Joseph, he doesn't have Joseph trying to set her aside. Uh, In fact, Joseph doesn't really get a lot of mention in Luke's Gospel, to be fair. Uh, He's a bit of a bit-part character, he happens to be the one who is going to marry Mary, And he's hanging around, but that's about it, really. 
So um, Luke doesn't play on the social disgrace side, which is much more a feature of Matthew's gospel. The two stories are quite different. Um, there are similarities. There is a Mary, a Joseph, and a Jesus, and he gets born in Bethlehem, but that's about it, really. So uh, apart from that, the two stories are quite different. And, but for Mary, at this time, this birth represents a huge change for her. She will go from being a young girl to a mother to a wife, to somebody who has to leave, uh, to somebody with all the responsibilities of that. Uh, And because she is getting married, she will have to leave her home with her mother and go and live with him, with his family, with his mother. They don't go off and live in their own little house somewhere or their own little cave in Nazareth. Um, They will live as a family unit all together. And she will be subsumed into that. And sometimes that goes well and sometimes that doesn't go well. And that's what faces her as when she goes back and as she approaches this birth. This is a huge life change for her. There's another picture of this time from Africa. This is the one I liked because it actually has Mary as a young girl and you can't actually see that she's pregnant. And I think this is more like it still, not the dress at the time. but And you can see there the anxiety in both the women. Anxiety, hope, fear, uncertainty. What does all this mean for us? This morning we are invited to sit with these two women in this sacred moment filled with so much hope and yet so much anxiety and fear so much grief for what will be lost or what has been lost so much uncertainty knowing that both of them are held in love. In their love for their unborn infants. In their love of God. In their love of family. And in their love for each other. And most important, the love of God for them found in this moment. So I think about this story and my own experience of waiting, waiting for Kate, waiting for Michael, waiting for Rebecca. It seems to me that that's what Advent is about, that level of waiting. Sometimes we glide through Advent without, well, too much of a a nod, really. The priest wears purple, we have a few extra candles... We're very busy getting ready for Christmas. But actually, Advent is about that level of waiting. That expectant waiting. And so this morning, on this last Sunday in Advent, we are invited to sit and to wait with them. And we're invited to reflect on where are we in this story 
this advent. In this sacred moment, when we meet these two, it is too easy to pass over the story and all that it offers us. So I found this picture, and this is the picture that's in your pew sheet. So this week I invite you to reflect on this picture and all that it reminds you about the story, all that it offers you. It holds the sacred moment, this Advent moment, and invites us into it with all our hope, with all our anxiety and fear, all our grief and uncertainty. And like Mary and Elizabeth, we too are invited into that same love. So as we linger in Advent for a few more days, and as we approach Christmas, I wonder, how does this image, how does this story invite us into Advent this year?